Hi, this is Malia Cromer, director of the Goucher College Poll, and you're listening to the Conduit Street Podcast, a source of news and notes on Maryland politics and policy viewed favorably by an overwhelming majority of Marylanders. Hello and welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with Michael Sanderson, recording remotely. And Michael, on a serious note, just to start the podcast, I know that you're okay and you and your family are okay. There was a tornado. As we record here on Thursday, there was a tornado here yesterday in Annapolis on Wednesday the 1st. I believe it was an EF2, which is pretty remarkable for Annapolis, Maryland. But I want to report that Mako and all of its staff are okay. Our building is okay. But Michael, that was really scary stuff yesterday. I mean, it, it, it's pretty rare, and also it was a it was a pretty big storm. That was it was quite a day, and and certainly grateful that it looks like there was you know there were no injuries and loss of life in our area. So you know our our, our friends and neighbors are okay. It looks like there's going to be some pretty substantial property damage, but that was a you know about forty five minutes of tense times. I know. You know, the, the, the Mako staff, we had a group text going. My family is huddled in the basement, but we're watching details as things are approaching Annapolis. I know you and your family are right in the Annapolis area. So we were, you know, thinking about you and others we know in that area. That was, that was a tricky time. What was that like for you? Yeah, it was really intense. I mean, I saw the, the, the rotation and so it, it was just terrifying, actually. It, it was basically right near my house, a couple of streets over. So, you know, it, 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 it makes you think and it's just scary stuff, but a lot of property damage, actually pretty remarkable property damage, but hopefully and, and thankfully no one is injured in our area, like you said. But yeah, yeah I mean, for a while and, and all of Annapolis was a buzz about this. But we don't see this very often. And, and actually, if you're if you're on Twitter like we are, there are some amazing videos and commentary, which really, really blow your mind. And it's, it's weird to see that kind of stuff like rolling down West Street, right? We had the, the, a selfish moment here, but with, with my family, it literally in our basement, we had one window to see out. And there was a spot after things had come through Annapolis and they were coming our direction. And we knew that, that there was actually either a, a funnel cloud or an actual tornado on or near the ground like within you know, within a mile of us for sure and getting closer. And then we had the weird moment, which you can kind of read about in books that if you're close to a tornado, it, it rapidly goes from being howling winds and really loud and really dark to suddenly it gets really quiet. And my kids had the, had the predictable reaction thinking, oh, everything's fine. Look, we can see the sun. It stopped raining. Everything's calm. And they're thinking, cool, everything's over. And in my mind, I'm remembering back to like safety drills from when I grew up in the Midwest in like sort of an extended part of Tornado Alley. And I'm remembering, no, 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 the calm is bad. That means something's like really close. I didn't want to quite tell my eight-year-old at the time. But anyway, yeah. that was that was a, t- a tense moment. And, you know, again, no, no, one, no one harmed in our area. Our, our thoughts go, go out to the folks uh, to, to the north and east of us who, who, who got things harder on that front, but uh, tough couple days. Yeah, and a big shout out to here in Anne Arundel County. And I know that counties across the state are dealing with this, but 
the folks here on the front lines in Anne Arundel, the Public Works Department have been out there 24-7, getting the electricity turned back on, working with their partners, getting the roads cleared. I know that we, the governor was, was touring the damage today along with the county executive and council members and, and folks from the city of Annapolis as well. When you see everybody sort of come together, assess the situation, and they're on the ground right away, and that's what we do at the end of the day. So that's really cool to see as well, but definitely a busy day yesterday in Annapolis and across the state when it comes to weather. So, Michael, I want to jump into a recap, if you will, of our summer conference. That's the last time folks heard from us. It was live with Tanium. We did a live recording there. We'll put that in the show notes, Michael. But Broadly, the, the conference, you and I and the MAKO staff have talked about this. We've sort of huddled around and, and talked about how it went. Give us your perspective quickly, just a, a quick recap of the, the 2021 MAKO Summer Conference down in Ocean City, Maryland. I think I think we delivered for for our members and for the attendees at the event. I mean, there was a lot lot to be gained from having an in-person event. And in the circumstances weren't perfect, but we, we, we did our best to make reasonable accommodations and make sure people could be comfortable and, and safe in that setting. But really, really good content. Um, you know, so sort of a lot of conversation in the hallway where, where you stumble into three or four people and they're still talking about the session that ended 20 minutes before. And you know, that's that's a really good indirect sign that we, we sort of hit the mark pretty well with the sort of things that people have on their mind and wanted to talk about. A really wide range of policy issues and, and topics and sort of best practices uh, the, the technology expo continues to grow. I think that was a good success. And just up and down the hallways, the sessions were you know, well attended, um, well thought out, and, and good conversation all around. I'm, I'm really pleased uh, with, with what we were able to pull off, and, and a lot of our attendees have reflected that back to us. So really, really happy with the event overall. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, too, in terms of making sure all these issues are relevant. And I think they were. And I agree with you that the rooms were full. There were a lot of great Q&As, which I always enjoy. Uh, the panels engaging with the audience and that interaction is priceless. But Michael, we have to give a huge shout out to the MAKO member services team. They are the ones that make this happen. I'm so proud of them and how they handled this. And it was a, it was a big event. And like you said, I think it went swimmingly. I've heard nothing but good feedback. And the, the, the content, which is most important to me, was, was right on cue. So huge, huge shout out to the whole Mako shop, but particularly Virginia White and her team. As usual, they did a fantastic job in, in pulling this off without a hitch. Crushing it. Speaking of the conference, speaking of relevant topics, one of the biggest sessions for me, Michael, most well attended, and I will say on a Saturday morning, was right. an ARPA forum, right? We're talking about the American Rescue Plan Act. This is a big deal for state and local governments across the country. We've talked about this on the podcast. This is a huge wave of federal aid. We know all about it. And Michael, there was a big sort of uh, check-in point this past week where counties had to submit their reports, their initial reports, sort of a check-in with the U.S. Treasury, states did as well. And there's been sort of a lot of lead up to this, a lot of questions. The Treasury, of course, they're trying to deal with all sorts of different issues that, that folks have across the country. We all know one size does not fit all. So I think there were just a lot of off the wall things that they were trying to figure out. But Michael, I guess the bottom line is all of the counties now and states are they've submitted their initial plans to the Treasury, or at least they were supposed to by the 31st. 
And I want to give a big shout out to NACO, and I know you do too. It's significant in a way because I think there was so much buildup to this, and there are so many questions about what this money can be spent on, and Treasury has been releasing all of this guidance, and I feel like people can breathe just a little bit now. This is not the end of the game, of course, but you, you sort of made it to that first check-in point. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll echo one thing that you dropped in there, and, and that is that the National Association of Counties, uh, along with the other organizations who represent state and local leaders have been really working hand in glove with the U.S. Department of Treasury. I mean, Treasury is not historically a grant-making entity. There are other federal entities that that are, you know, it's really common for them to be handing out funds for this or that or the other thing. And they all have that sort of apparatus for, okay, you receive these funds, here's what we want to know, here are the reports we need you to file and so forth. This is this is like just as a matter of philosophy, this is an appropriate thing that level of government provides assistance and then wants some degree of transparency and accountability in how the funds are being used and so forth. And so that's that's a really common circumstance. So the federal government passes this big, you know, this big effort to say we need to keep our economy um, on the right track as we hopefully are pulling through the end and out of this pandemic. We know there's some continued need for recovery immediately, and we know we have exposed problems through this pandemic that we need longer-term solutions for. So let's let's have this be a plan, and everybody who's receiving funds ought to you know, be sharing with the public and with the federal government what the elements of your plan are going to look like. This was the first installment of that. And I don't think there was ever an expectation that this was going to be, you know, this is the final plan. By September 1, everybody's going to know exactly what your two or three year full rollout is going to look like down to the penny. The expectation was never that this is going to be all the detail, but to the extent that you've done some things already, and most of our jurisdictions have in one piece or another, then you, you, you show where that has gone, and then you show where that fits into the larger plan that you have for your jurisdiction. So, um, you know, everybody's got, got the first installment done on this. I think that's the right direction. Uh, but it, it, it's, it, it's fair to keep this in mind that this was the first installment. And we're going to see these over, you know, in the months ahead, become clearer and more refined as the state's plan gets more fleshed out. The counties get to respond to that and start focusing on things that will complement what the state is doing. All that stuff is happening in the months ahead. Right. And that's a that's a great point. And I, I view it as sort of a, a good faith effort at this point because there are so many questions and lingering questions, the pandemic is lingering on. So to think that everybody could have their whole plan mapped out, not feasible, Treasury understands that. And I do wanna go back to what you were saying that that the, the agencies, the entities that are used to handing out money, they have sort of the infrastructure in place. They have the forms, you know, it's a T99, yeah. 1004, whatever those long government <laughs> forms are, right? But Treasury here, they had, they had to, to make this all up, right? They had to figure out what do we need from everybody? You know, they have to first of all, read the whole bill and then go through technically and figure out all the different pieces. So that in itself is pretty remarkable. And, and I will say too, there's another interesting piece here when it comes to if you're sitting there as a county government right now and 
we know that the American Rescue Plan Act, a big component of it is broadband, right? So that's one of the big pieces that you're allowed to spend this federal money on. Well, we also know, Michael, that, and we'll get into this maybe in a second, there's an infrastructure bill that's that's looming right in Congress. And so a big piece of that we know would be broadband money. So if you're hearing that and you're watching the news and you're sitting there and trying to figure out your report and tell Treasury what you're going to spend money on, you don't necessarily want to book ARPA money on broadband when you know that there could be a bunch of broadband money coming down the line, right? So I think that's just an example of sort of the the the, the measures that you're weighing when you're deciding how to allocate this money. We know that counties are reaching out to their communities, they're gathering that input, they're talking to nonprofits. And I think it makes a lot of sense to, to take a cautious approach and to really think about how you can maximize these dollars in the long term. And that's what's going on right now. And I think that is the proper approach. And that is why you'll continue to see these check-ins. And, and this is why you know we don't have all the information now, but this is sort of the, the good faith effort to get it rolling. So it's good to see everybody get that done. And again, props to NACO because they've been really, really responsive to specific questions, at least I know from Maryland counties. Yeah, and, and I, I will say um, in, in the defense of the U.S. Department of Treasury, uh, they have been for, you know, for a big federal agency that has a gigantic task ahead of them, they have been very responsive in a number of ways. We've, we've seen specific issues get fed through the National Association of Counties. They've had sort of an open portal for weeks now saying, if you've got questions or requests for Treasury, submit them here. We will bundle them and work with our contacts at the at the U.S. Department of Treasury to, to try and share your points of view. I've seen things translate directly from the question on a group call hosted by NACO to a week later, there's revised guidance from Treasury saying, we heard what you said and what you're doing is correct. And we've rewritten our guidance to make sure that you understand what you're doing is right. We we think you got it right and we're going to put it in writing. That's, I mean, it, it feels kind of on the fly and it sort of is, but as a practical matter, that's what you want to see, right? You want to see someone who can just say, okay, right, I see what you mean now, and maybe things are different in Tennessee than we had imagined, but good question, and we'll fix that. Good, we'd like to see that. Yeah, definitely, you have to give props to, to the U.S. Treasury. And Michael, I, I wanna keep on federal issues. A big component, a lot of what people are talking about as part of ARPA, we talked about it at the, at the summer conference as well. We're talking about evictions and rental assistance. I know, Michael, you were directly involved with with the feds, with NACO, mm -hmm. and with other stakeholders from Maryland talking about this issue and hopefully moving the ball forward a bit when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, to, to lay the groundwork a little bit, and I think a lot of our listeners are, are probably generally familiar, but the really quick sketch here is during the stretch of this pandemic, there, there was a federal provision in place for a pretty long time that more or less said, if you're out of a job and you don't have your income as a result of this pandemic, you shouldn't be thrown out of your rental property. And so if effectively a foreclosure on, on evictions because of the pandemic. So mm -hmm. th that was a provision under the, the Center for Disease Control and their purview under public health. Um, that was a federal provision that was in place until fairly recently. 
as the federal law expired, there was some back and forth about whether it could be extended. There was an attempt to do that, and that failed in court. And as of a week or two ago, that has basically expired. Mm-hmm. Um, at, along a similar timetable, we had a similar provision in state law in Maryland that made some some sort of parallel and maybe a little bit tougher guidance as an affirmative defense if you're facing eviction as a renter. As the Maryland declaration of emergency expired in the middle of August, that too went by the wayside. So over the last few weeks, we've seen these special protections erode and now fall apart. Um, what that's that's left with, or what's going to happen? Are we going to see this giant tidal wave of pending evictions? Are property owners going to fire file by the dozens and by right. the score of different? Are we going to see lots and lots of people thrown into the street? We don't know yet, but one of the tools to keep that from happening is the presence of funds through the the, the rescue plan and maybe other sources to to provide either through a nonprofit or directly to the renters or as a payment directly to a property owner, basically some funds to abate evictions. This is one of these areas where it's in the interest of having accountability and making sure everybody has followed process that tends to make things go more slowly than you'd like. So we called together um, with with the help of, of State Senator, hat tip to Senator Jim Rosapep, who pulled together a meeting with a number of our leaders and some leaders at the federal level from the White House and Treasury. But we you know, we got we got 25 people into a Zoom room, mostly from Maryland and a few from the federal government, to talk nuts and bolts on this. And our folks in Maryland program directors sort of walked the White House through. Here's what I need to do, what you want me to do, and what I want to do. I need these assurances. Can you help us with clearer guidance so I don't get fired or so my jurisdiction doesn't end up getting, you know, getting getting crushed by some federal agency or some audit down the line? Right. Um, and to their credit, a week or so later, once again, because of, I think, probably directly related to this meeting from Maryland, we saw revised guidance from the Department of Treasury that went to some of these exact issues of what's the process to follow to determine whether a person is eligible for assistance under these programs. And it's simpler, it's cleaner. I'm hoping this will be the, you know, you've heard of red tape. I'm hoping this is like the green tape idea that the clearest possible direction is going to help get the money out the door, which is what we all want for the folks who deserve it. And it makes a lot of sense. And it goes back to, this is how it's supposed to work. You you know, you're, you're supposed to get a good response from the federal government when they're trying to implement these, these really difficult and hard to manage programs. You need that feedback. And I think that's exactly what happened for Maryland. So hopefully that that is a sign of good things to come in terms of getting this money out the door. And, and, and it also makes sense, right? If you're, if you're sitting there and, and you're trying to figure out again, what to do with this money and you're trying to find, you know, follow all the rules, you don't want to run afoul of anything and then be audited. And all of a sudden your county's in trouble. And one of the things I thought I find interesting is I've heard folks say, well, who, who are the auditors going to be, you know, who's going to audit all this stuff. 
And the bottom line is the, the auditors probably aren't even hired yet. They might even be in, in like high school, right? This is going to happen <laughs> years down the road. And most likely the folks who are making these decisions in, in counties, they may not even be there when the, these actual audits happen, which again are, are going to be a long time away. So you, you, you want to make sure that all your ducks are in a row, especially if you're not going to be the one that has to answer the questions when the auditors come knocking. So anything that Treasury can put on paper, Michael, I think is a, is a huge success. So I think I think that's that's good, and I would just I would step back and say we're we're frustrated that the funding hasn't moved as rapidly as we'd like to see, but these are the right things to make that happen. So let's be optimistic that this is going to move in the right direction. But this is this is a natural and healthy tension. You want accountability and transparency in spending funds of this magnitude. So you're supposed to have reporting and you're supposed to have double checking and so forth. You have to weigh that with some degree of reasonableness. And I I feel like Treasury is doing their best on that front. So, So hats off. And we we touched on infrastructure. I teased that up a bit when it comes to you know deciding whether or not to spend ARPA money now on broadband. We've talked a lot about the the pending infrastructure bill, Michael. We know that the Senate passed a bill. It's sitting over in the House, and like is always the case, DC is full of politics, and this seems to be really complicated. But I feel like we should give folks an update. I don't know if we really know anything because things right. seem to be evolving. Other than this is going to get really complicated. Well, I mean, it was it was a few weeks ago on the podcast. We were we were doing like the the podcast equivalent of fist bumps because there had been a procedural vote on the floor of the U.S. Senate on components of you know, the pieces of an infrastructure package. And it felt like, my gosh, something might actually happen. Like the U.S. Congress might be able to figure this stuff out. Because for how many years have have you been saying, oh, it's infrastructure week, great. Like big, big deal. Like we've been doing infrastructure week forever, nothing ever happened. Yeah, so it finally felt like maybe infrastructure week's finally here. And maybe we fell for the head fake a little bit, but, you know, the, the plans have been laid out a little bit that the Senate was going to make this one big move. Then the House of Representatives was going to make their big move. And then the two chambers would have respective pressure on one another to bring this all together in some sort of a compromise. They would use their tricky procedural process they call budget reconciliation to pull all these things into sort of one big bill and use it as budget reconciliation to sort of, in in all candor, to avoid some of the procedural obstacles in the Senate with a filibuster. The idea of doing this with a a strict majority through the the reconciliation process seemed to be the end game. Um, And here we are several weeks later, and we're still talking about what will the House be able to do? What does the Senate have the appetite for? Where are their 50 plus one votes present in the Senate for any package. I don't know the answer to any of those questions. So this isn't this isn't the place where we're going to answer all that stuff. But um, I think back to your point that we're all very invested in infrastructure and our, our local governments in Maryland have roads and bridges and wastewater systems and public water systems and so forth that are all in need of investment. Uh, we've gone a decade more or less skipping out on some of those responsibilities for a variety of reasons. So the, the bill has come due. This would be really, really welcome support from the level of government that has the flexibility to show up with it. 
And it's it's just tough. And like you 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 put your nail on the head with the specific overlap between the 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 recovery funds that you've got in hand and the potential for for you know some of those elements to get picked up as infrastructure in the next wave if it comes. Right. And I think that that that's something that we should be thinking about. And I like that, you know, you're mentioning we have roads, bridges, wastewater treatment plants. Not often does that get a lot of attention, right? It, it may not make the front page of the paper if you're filling potholes or if you're investing in your wastewater treatment plant. But I'll tell you one thing, if you don't do it, it's going to make it on the front page if something goes terribly wrong. So this stuff is important. And while it might not get the same attention as if you're you're building an airport or something, all of this is is critically important, and we know our roads and bridges are are in desperate need across this country. So it would be really great if they could figure this out. Uh, right now, it seems like they're they're wrangling over a bigger spending package that the House is trying to figure out. But but I don't know. Hopefully, we can see this come together. But just like is always the case again in D.C., there's going to be politics involved and power plays, and and we'll have to wait and see. I think the House is aiming toward the end of the month for a vote on, on the Senate's infrastructure bill, but, but who knows at this point, we do know we need this investment and hopefully they can get the money out the door. Well, I, I support that. I will say you know, when, if Congress says that they're targeting the end of the month, to me, that feels a little bit like you pick up a loaf of bread at the store and you read for what's the expiration date. And it says Wednesday. <laughs> I'm like, well, which, which Wednesday did you mean exactly? Right. Has this loaf of bread been sitting here for nine weeks and expiration is always four or five days away? I'm not, I'm not excited about hearing the end of the month because every month has an end. Anyway, that's probably enough about our friends. We're, we'll all wait for the train from Washington. It's, it, it might be coming. And, and Michael, I want to sort of close out on, a, on an interesting note. And I know you were, you were really ramped up before... <laughs> The, the Mako Summer Conference, you were all jazzed up. You had this great idea. I know you saw something on Twitter and you thought you were just going to, to crush everybody and rule the world, rule county land. And I want to set this up a little bit, Michael. This is all about a map. And it's basically a quiz that you need to identify all the Maryland counties. And I'll let you tell everybody where you got it from and what has happened. But for a moment there, you were the guy, right? You were the county guy, you were the man. Everybody had to bow down to you, but but it it was probably just for like one moment, though, right? Well, okay, so so, so the the ball gets rolling in a, in a side conversation about knowing your counties, and a friend of the podcast, uh, Malia Cromer from from Goucher College, she posted something to the effect of, "I would be willing to give my students extra credit if they could do this online." place the counties quiz faster than Michael Sanderson over at Mako. Well, so, okay, I'm flattered by that, right? And well, that's like who the, you would think, right? I mean, if, right, if anybody so that, yeah. would, should know this, it's Michael Sanderson and Mako. You would, you would think I, that, that's fine. So set the bar. So I'm, I'm, I'm literally lying in bed and I'm looking on my phone at Twitter, which unfortunately I do. And I see this thread and I'm like, oh, fine. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll take this quiz. So I, I do the quiz, tick, 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 tick. And that, that's fine. I get 100%. I'm pretty happy with that. I figure lots of people would probably make a mistake somewhere along the way. I got 100% of the counties right, so that's good. That's good. And then I post a little screenshot of my time. I, I get it done in 48 seconds. And then it just seems like, like, you know, the gates of hell break loose. And suddenly there's these like wild dogs out there 
who were like, oh no, this guy's, this guy's nothing. Let me show you what I can do. And it was, it was madness for a little while. I, I don't know. Again, your time was 48. Is that right? 48. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm afraid to say it, but it felt pretty good. I felt okay at the time until later in the day when, you know, all the, the younger, more caffeinated, more, <laughs> you know, more nimble fingered among us suddenly got a hold of this. And, and then I was, I was put to shame, but well, and, and then, you know, of course, you know, the Mako comms team goes to work and says, let's turn it into a contest. Who, who can actually beat Michael's time? And then, then it was on. Yeah. Before, before, I, before I roast you, because I know you're, you're going to provide some lame excuses, I will give you credit. <laughs> I'll give you credit because number, you got 100%. And that's, that's probably what's most important. And that's why you went to Twitter and you wanted to post a screenshot. I, I got 100%. I'm good. But I don't think you were thinking about necessarily the time. Because like we said, Twitter did blow up. And all of a sudden, Michael, you were target number one. Everybody was coming to get you. I will also give you credit, though, because I think you only took it one time and you posted your score, your time with your first try. Now, there may be some people who did not do that and who took the quiz multiple times and we'll maybe we'll get to that person. But so I got to give you credit there. But but what tell me why it took you so long, though, because I also took this <laughs> quiz and I got 100 percent. I'm happy to say, but it didn't take me that long. So so now I want to hear yeah. like you were laying down and you're, you maybe you dropped the phone and your angle was weird. Just just tell us why it took you 48 seconds before we go through <laughs> all the people that really just put you to shame. Well, I, I, I mean, I can't I, I can't. I can't compete. That's, that's really the bottom line is the game has passed me by. So, you know, I'm, I'm okay with the map, but I, I want to say that if, if I had like cracked my knuckles and had my coffee and um, then mm. played the game on a larger screen with a, you know, a sort of gaming mouse, I think I mean, better equipment surely would have, would have made me very competitive, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm a reasonably nimble fingered dude, but I guess I, I don't know. So you didn't, so you didn't go I, down to the basement and, and you're like professional gamer set up and sit in your gamer chair <laughs> with all of your contraptions and your special mice. You, you didn't do that. You just didn't think you didn't know you were going to wander into this. I, just, I didn't, I didn't realize nest. this was that. That's right. I, I didn't, I didn't look ahead. So it, it's fine. So as it turns out, I didn't set the bar all that high. And then all sorts of people were clearing my 48 seconds turned into you had a better time. And then, okay. So like we, we pledged that we would drop names. I don't know exactly the whole sequence of different people, but I know that Chris Trumbauer, a friend of the pod uh, and Brian Griffiths, who's spoken at the Mako conference before Chuck Cook, a guy we know from around town, Alan Brody, we know from around town. I saw Brian Kramer put up a really good time. Mm-hmm. Jake Weissman, another guy from around town in Annapolis. Um, uh, oh, and then uh, who is that other guy? Alex Butler. Mm-hmm. Alex Butler. No, Alex not ring Butler. A bell. I anyway, think he may he he may have been on the podcast, and he may be the person I'm talking about who hosted 28 may, scores. May, yeah, may may have taken the quiz 130 times mm. and just posted his best time. Maybe, maybe, okay. Maybe, um, but then there was also like what Gabe from Baltimore. I, I'm noticing a tra- is this like a why is this all a bunch of guys? I do think stupid, reckless, pointless competitions is is something of a guy thing. Mm. But but Pam Wood, reporter for the Sun. 
um, put up a pretty big time. So anyway, the whole laundry list of people posted times that beat me and hats off to them. I think it's cool that lots and lots of people can can work their way through the whole list of counties and find them all, get 100% and do it faster than me. Awesome. Love to see it. Yeah. At the end of the day, that that's what matters. And we <laughs> We will say, too, we just brought on some new policy team members. You should expect to hear from them soon. But I know it must be intimidating when you just start your gig and your executive director says, here's this map. Tell me where all the counties are. And I want you to post your score on Twitter. We certainly did that. Right. And that was sort of a, I think that would in- intimidate me a little bit. But we do have some new folks on board. We're excited about it. Yeah. In the weeks ahead, uh, hopefully we will be bringing them in as new voices and, and perspectives on the pod. And I'm looking forward to that. Me too. And this was fun. Michael, I think we can leave it there for today. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe. That way, all of these episodes will be sent directly to the device of your choice. You can also follow along on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and then of course, the Conduit Street blog. But for Michael Sanderson, this is Kevin Canale signing off, and we will talk to you soon.